0: Italian Wine Podcast. Cin cin with Italian Wine People.
1: Hello, my name is Monty Warden. I am with Ian Dagater, who's probably the greatest expert on Italian grape varieties in the world. Ian, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Monty. It's great to be here. Right, let's first of all talk about uh, the Aglianico grape or the Aglianico grape. You have said that this is one of the world's great red grapes. Why did you say that?
0: It's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually in the minority. Some uh, very famous colleagues I really get along with have sort of poked fun at me for that statement. I do, however, believe that Alianico is really one of Italy's three greatest grapes. And I think it's one of the world's ten greatest grapes. And the reason why I say that is, uh, in 30 years of tasting Italianico wines, it was clear to me that there was potential. Let me <clears throat> let me just explain that this sort of happening isn't isn't just a one time thing. I had exactly the same sort of belief with Nerello Mascalese, and that was easy because I come, uh, my family originates from Sicily. My whole uh, paternal side of the family is from Catania, and we actually owned land on uh, on Etna vines, really, that unfortunately my my grandfather decided to sell off. And already then, you could tell that Narello Mascalese wines, this is back in the 70s and 80s when nobody talked of Etna, you could tell it was just a potentially amazing, amazing wine. And exactly the same thing is true of Aglianico dello Vulture, whereby I tasted so many great wines from Paternoster and D'Angelo back in the 75 and 77, 78 vintages, that though rustic, really showed a lot of potential. So I think the problem is that Alianico has not benefited from the plethora of great, talented producers that Barolo, uh, that Barbaresco, that Brunello have had over the uh, decades. And that has made it so that Alianico the grape variety, has not been able to shine in its wines. But mark my words, Alianico gives these wonderful wines that are magically perfumed, red roses, tobacco, uh, darker fruit, depending on where the Allianic variety grows. Lots of acidity, lots of tannins, and a very noble, noble tasting red wine. That is very age worthy. So, yes, I think that Allianic was one of the world's 10 greatest grapes. So, when normal
1: consumers hear wine experts talking about tannin and long lived wines, that does tend to put people off because you think, totally. hey, hey, oh, I'm never going to be able to drink it. And whenever it's, it becomes drinkable and softens up, I'm going to be a grand. The grandparents. So how do you get around that? What do winemakers have to do to make these
0: wines a little bit more drinkable? That's a really great question because, you know, sometimes us wine geeks tend to get carried away with the age-worthiness of wines. And yes, this wine will be great in 54 years, but nobody has that sort of patience. Nobody has a cellar anymore where to store wines properly. The great thing about Iannico is though it is an age-worthy wine, more so than Barolo, uh, and Barbaresco, and even some great Brunellos, it is actually readier to drink sooner because it has this fruit-forward personality. Um, that's especially true of Aglianico in the Tarazi area of Campania and even more so in the Vulture area of Basilicata. These are fresh, plummy, red-buried, red-cherried wines right from the start that are very good to drink already five years after the harvest, but that can age 10, 20, 30 years. So I think Aglianico has a lot of reasons... Uh, by which to please people. Again, the main problem is very poor winemaking for the past 40, 30 or 40 years. We're in Campania and in Basilicata. You only had, oh, I don't want to be negative, let's say 15 to 20 wine estates that really that really were good at what they were doing. Isn't one of the problems with uh, Alianico the fact that it can
1: be drunk fairly early, it's a very juicy kind of pizza wine, means people say, well, how, how is it possible that a pizza wine could be considered one of Italy's greats?
0: Well, you know, Monty, for me, Pizza wine is the ultimate compliment, because if I had to die on a desert island, besides taking Gwyneth Paltrow with me, I would take a juicy Neapolitan pizza. Nothing better than, you know, San Marzano or Pomodori del Piennolo tomatoes with authentic anchovies and beautiful buffalo mozzarella. And that is uh, what we call in Italy, cibo degli dei, that is God's food. So since there is nothing better in the world than a well-made pizza... Uh, hence, an Alianico, which is a pizza wine, there is no better compliment. So all kidding aside, um, I think people have to get over the snobbery of wine, whereby you have to have, uh, you know, if you read some books, it's, it's really a laugh, right? Because they're telling you that you have to have this red wine with roast partridge or, or roast wood grouse. First of all, there aren't any wood grouse left. And secondly, nobody eats that stuff. So people eat pizza, people eat pasta. Well, I mean, I, have, I love pasta with, with ragu and pasta with tomato sauce, and I want a wine that goes well with that. And I think Alianico, uh, you know, clearly not not the really age-worthy stuff, but an everyday Alianico goes marvelously well with that.
1: The three main regions for this particular grape, the Alianico, are Taurasi, Taborno, and uh, Vulture, which is spelt vulture as in the bird. Tell me a little bit about those three terroirs and what makes the Alianico from these Different tewas taste different.
0: It's actually very simple. It sounds complicated, but it's very simple. Taurasi and Taburno are in the region of Campania. That is where Naples is. That is where the islands of Ischia and Capri are also located. Vulture, or the vulture is in Basilicata. Basilicata is it's Italy's smallest region that is located between Italy's heel, which is Puglia, and Italy's toe, which is Calabria, because Italy is a boot-shaped country. And Basilicata is tucked in between the heel and the boot. It's the, it's the instep, right? Totally. Very it's my, you know, that's where my mother-in-law is from. That's all. absolutely very well put. That is mother-in-law's. The key thing is that if you think of what Taurasi, Taburno, and Vulture are, they're extinct volcanoes and alianico is one of the grapes in this world that loves volcanoes it's such a great grape variety that it will grow well just about anywhere that may actually be one of its fall fallings because it gives you a decent wine anywhere And I think that contributes to its lack of recognition. But when you grow it on on this volcanic soil, it just reaches a different stratosphere and becomes one of the world's greatest red wines. I would argue that Pinot Gris, which is viewed as a Pinot Grigio, it's exactly the same grape, it's just different languages, which is viewed as a very simple grape and wine. In reality, when you put it on volcanic soils. Like the Rangin in, in Alsace, it gives you one of the 10 greatest white wines in the world. So
1: what is the effect of the, the volcanic soil on the Alianico? How does it work? What's the mechanism?
0: There's actually a science to this, and people are working on it in universities all over Italy. The main thing is that when you grow Alianico on volcanic soils, to make it very simple, you get a very elegant, refined wine that is flinty and very mineral and very long-aging. It's not as immediately charming Some other Alianicos that are grown on richer soils, but it's remarkably deep and precise and penetrating. And the great thing about wine is you don't have to be an expert to recognize a great wine. If you give anyone, a beginner or a wine expert, a very good Alianico from a volcanic soil... They all all immediately identify it to be a great wine.
1: So hang on, if you're on a volcano, you're gonna be way above sea level, right? Six to seven hundred meters. How does Alianico get itself ripe at such altitudes?
0: Well it really depends on the slope and where the sun's rays hit. So you can actually grow at a thousand meters above sea level, which is about three thousand three hundred feet to three thousand five hundred feet. And what happens is you're way up there where it's cold and where you would think these poor grapes never ripen but in fact because you're up on the slopes at a very steep gradient the sun rays hit the land in such a way that the grapes actually ripen it's a longer it's a long, longer growing season so you will be picking grapes for example in the vultere in november which is unheard of right and for example in sicily unless you're in Etna. You're going to be picking grapes already in August. But because the hang time is so long on Vulture... What do you mean by hang time? How long the grapes are allowed or able to resist on the vine. The greatest wines in the world are all issued from grapes that have been allowed to live long on the vine. Because as long as the grape is sitting there on the vine, its metabolism, that means all its vital activities are still working. It's a bit more complicated than that because now we know that when you take grapes away from the vine, when you detach them, biologic processes are still going on. So it's not as cut and dried as we once thought. But for the most part, if you leave grapes hanging, these grapes are living, and they're building new molecules, and they're building new aromas, and they're building new flavors. And ultimately, the wine is much more complex and much more interesting. So Elianico can benefit from a very long hang time because it's not picked in August, it's picked in November, and that inherently allows for a make more complex wine. Then, of course, you have to know what you're doing, and if you don't know how to make wine, the wine's going to be horrible. But you're starting off with a potentially really great matter. So one of the things you said about Alianico
1: in your book is that it dominates its terroir. Why is that a problem?
0: It's a problem because I think it's much easier, although this could sound geeky, it's much easier for people to understand this wine uh, is born off this type of soil and therefore it's different from this other one that is born on this other soil. Alianico tends to give you very much a similar wine just about everywhere it is grown. However, if you have a little bit of experience and you pay a little bit of attention, you realize that the Janicles that are born on sand are a little lighter-bodied, they're a little more fragrant, while the ones, for example, the volcanic soils, are much deeper, darker, flintier. That may not be as evident to everybody out there, but uh, to people who really are into wine, it, it is apparent. What about um,
1: Taburno in Benevento? You said that's near Naples, right? So, what, what makes that place special?
0: Taburno and Tarazi are both near Naples. Uh, Tarazi is about an, an hour and a half from Naples in the Apennine range, right in the middle of Italy, and near the C- range of mountains, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the it's a dorsal of mountains that runs north to south right through Italy. Tarazi is near the city of Avellino, while, well, as you say, that's where my brother in is from. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good place to go visit then. And Taburno, on the other hand, is about two and a half hours away from Naples, by car, and it is near, as you say, the city of Benevento. And Taburno is another extinct volcano. It's moving towards Puglia. The Alianico there, first of all, it's a different biotype. Now, I don't want to make this too complicated, but in reality, people have planted just about everything everywhere because they wanted to try different things. Because they're Italian. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> they're Italian, because it's been allowed, and it's very unfortunate that it was allowed, but... That would take us too far. But to make a long story short, the Taburno Allianico is a different biotype that gives you a higher acid wine, and it gives you a wine that is more marked by tobacco and underbrush notes, as opposed to the Taurasi Alianico of Campania, which is very Nebbiolo-like. It is marked by uh, red rose and red cherry notes. The Taburno Allianico, in fact, is locally known as Amaro, which is not bitter, But actually, that's the dialect word for acid, because the Taburo alianico is very high on acid. And the high acidity of all alianico wines is one of the things that explains why these wines age so well. Doesn't that also explain why they're actually really
1: nice to drink as well? Because you have some wines that kind of taste like sticky berries. Absolutely. It's like eating jam, right? And it's just really tiring. Is that um, people, when consumers hear about, and people talk about acidity, they always see that as a negative thing. Why isn't it in the case of uh, Alianico?
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. I think, you know, you, you have to make a distinction between wines that are going to show well in a tasting and wines that are going to show well at dinner time. And you've got to consider that uh, in some parts of the world, wine was never part of the daily diet, certainly in North America. If anybody remembers back in the 70s and 80s, if you used to go have lunch in an even well-known restaurant, everybody was sitting there with bottles of Perrier. Today it might be San Pellegrino or Panna. But back then it was Perrier, and very few people drank wine. So wine was never part of these cultures, and therefore these individuals who uh, ended up getting into wine were taken by very rich jammy wines that really tasted well in a tasting. But when you have to eat with them, they're they're horrible because they're jammy, they're roasted, they have alcohols of 16 percent, they have uh, they have sugar levels, and you know who wants to have a, a, a an alcoholic raspberry juice. With, with, with his roast loin or his steak or even his hamburger. Nobody wants that. Um, and I think acidity is key because, of course, it cleanses your mouth. It's uh, refreshing. It gets you ready for another morsel. And all these high-acid wines that are now becoming much more in fashion are key to having a great time at a meal. In places where you've historically had wine with food, people have always enjoyed these high-acid wines, and the sugary bombs were, were less uh, popular. That may have changed in recent times, but for the most part, it's true. Final question, how do you rate Alianico in
1: general in terms of value for money?
0: It's very good if you get the right Alianico. Again, the problem with Alianico is you need to get a good producer. I'm not offending anybody if I say that if you buy a Barolo 9 times out of 10 and probably even 9.9 times out of 10, you're going to get a very sound wine, an etnologically well-made wine. You may like it, you may not like it, That's another matter, but it's going to be a flawless wine. I'm not sure I can say that about the Alianico's made in Italy. I would say that uh, some of them have flaws and some of them are less interesting. But If you get the one made by a right producer, and, there's, and there are many, it's a juicy wine, it's a great wine, it's not expensive, and it's a very satisfying wine.
1: Ian, thanks very much for sharing uh, your love of and knowledge of uh, Alianico. Thank you, thank you very much. Look forward to having a pizza with you and a large glass of it. Me too. At some stage in the future. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. Me too.
0: (laughs) Follow us at Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook.